Guess who's back? Back again. Is it us, Heather? Heather and Ferg from New York Friends. It is Ferg. Good guess. Thank you. Now, if this is your first foray into the world of comedy whodunits for your ears, you'll be thrilled to learn that we have four other full series available for free on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Ooh, we're spoiling you. We really are. Plus, if you like the podcast, you'll love our stage work. Ooh. Delicious. We've heard from a few of you who can't make it to Bath to see A Christmas Getaway and we Aww. totally understand. We do. But we are touring in spring with Crime's Camera Action. Now, it is, and I'm quoting the Financial Times here, crammed to the gills with knife-sharp visual gags and murderously bad puns. There are full dates available on our website, newoldfriends.co.uk. Plug time over, quiz time now. Hashtag NovQuiz question 16. Hans Gruber is a character from which Christmas film? It is such a good film. Let's go watch it while our lovely listeners enjoy the next chapter of Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Yeah! Ding, ding! Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Chapter 16. At the inspector's suggestion, he and I repaired to the Duke of Cornland, making our way past the carolers on the street corner and giving the Christmas shoppers, who, unused to London streets, would stop abruptly without warning, a good bit of elbow on the way. When we opened the tinsel-strewn doors of the pub, we were both warmly greeted by the booming voice of Jimmy McMickle. Alright, lads. You two starting another session? Get some ciders inside of yours, is it? No, thank you, Jimmy. Not today. We're working. Can I have a coffee, please? Black. Inspector? Just a tea for me, please, Jimmy. You drank enough last night. These are on the house. You're a good egg, Jimmy. Speaking of eggs, do you know how to make a chicken stop crowing and start laying? I took one off a bloke in here to settle his tab, figuring I'd make money back in breakfast in no time. But the little bugger ain't lit a thing. Sounds like you might have a cock, I observed. I definitely bloody have. I don't know what you heard about my accident, but I just nicked it. I knew I should have started mucking about with a razor down there. It were that Lady Duplanis' fault, God rest her soul. I managed to quickly expunge any images of Jimmy's nether regions and explained what I meant. A cockerel, Jimmy. A male chicken. Oh, bugger. In any case, no need for your hospitality on this occasion. Please charge us full price and we'll be wanting two hearty lunches as well. Put it on Eldridge Rawlins's tab. Not a big fan of tabs, I'm afraid. The cockerel situation is by no means an isolated incident. I'm afraid I'm not running no tabs at the moment, especially for people I don't know. And I know I don't know no Aldridge Rawlins, said Jimmy, at a volume which caused all the glassware to tinkle and vibrate. Who is he when he's at home? Or more to the point, who is he when he's paying the lunch bill of two detectives like you? One detective, one art investigator, assisting the detective, corrected O'Rowby, with what I felt was indecent haste. He is chairman of Artridge's club, but more pertinent here is that he is the patron of the ballet based in the theatre just around the corner. You should have no trouble collecting, I'm sure. Fair enough. I like the theatre lot. They knows how to drink. I had two of them in the other day getting loose. Funny looking pair. One had whiskers out of here and the other was wearing girt massive hoop earrings. Ah, you're talking about BV and Flipper, I offered. Am I? Don't they have proper names then? That's the only thing about that lot. They're so bloody creative they can't stop creating new names for themselves. What's wrong with a name your ma called you at birth, eh? Couldn't say. 
But if you don't care for them, you'll absolutely hate the moniker of the hairy blighter who joined them. What hairy blighter? What are you talking about, Artridge? It was just the two of them. O'Ralby and I both reacted with a start, but it was the Irishman who spoke. Are you sure it was just the two of them here drinking? Yeah. Why? Would you swear to that in court? If I had to. Jimmy, you might have just given us the break in the case we need. Is there a reward? Um, stick it on the tab? You look like you're in a hurry. I'll chivvy your lunches along. Jimmy started to move towards the kitchen door, but then I saw him pause and could see the sense memory of his mother's famous tightness wash over him. I fancied I could almost hear her voice shouting, Charge him extra for a rush job! All the way from the southwest coast, which such was the force of the McMickle larynx, I wouldn't be surprised if I could. Would it be alright, do you think, if I put a little extra on this Rawlins's bill for the increased speed of service? If you can have them out here in the next five minutes, feel free, replied O'Ralby, with the offhand air of a man spending someone else's money. We grabbed a table near the door and quickly began breaking down the latest revelations. Right then, Artridge. The way I see it is this. Marlene Schweinvolger has openly threatened to do Daisy Love, a dancer who has replaced her as prima ballerina, harm. She knows she has a besotted admirer in Tatum Keiki Lyle, a man with a proven history of law-breaking, as well as a man who, we now know, has falsified his alibi, not to mention the fact that he is the man responsible for the safety maintenance of the fly floor from which the sandbag fell. Exactly. We paused briefly as Jimmy brought out two plates of pie, mash and gravy. The sight of that warming fare sent rumbles of delight through my stomach, and I could see in O'Ralby's eyes that his body was grateful for the fuel after our alcohol-fueled escapades last night. We got stuck in like a pair of dogs over a bowl of chum, and silence fell over our table while we worked our jaws in other ways. After a few moments of frantic chomping, shoveling and slurping, we both lay down our eating irons like victorious knights laying down their lances after an epic joust. Needed that, said O'Ralby, not quite suppressing a belch. <clears throat> Indeed, I replied with a little burp of my own. So, what's the plan Rima, Lena and Keiki then? Is it enough to arrest them both? Maybe not both of them, but we've got plenty to bring him in, and then we can sweat her. One or the other will crack, and then we'll have the case wrapped up by dinner, I reckon. The first part of the plan went off without a hitch. We quickly returned to the theatre, and, with the smallest amount of pressure, BB and Flipper admitted that Cakey hadn't been with them. I'm sure he never done nothing wrong, though. He's a big softy underneath it always, Cakey, pleaded BB. But like someone tripping on a phobia of mortality, their protests fell on deaf ears. Given the hulking frame of Cakey, O'Ralby had decided it prudent to call in some uniformed officers for backup, but in the event they weren't required. As soon as we'd told him we'd uncovered his lie about his whereabouts, Cakey simply sighed and held out his hands for the handcuffs. He stated he hadn't done anything wrong but understood. After that, he didn't say a word as he was led to the police car, a stance he stuck with once we got him back to the police station. He didn't say anything when O'Ralby offered him a glass of water. He remained silent when he was asked if he wanted to use the telephone. He didn't flinch when the length of sentence he could be facing was laid before him. What finally broke his monk-like silence was when O'Ralby suggested they would soon be arresting Marlena for her part in the crime. Marlena's innocent, he blurted out before he could stop himself. Oh, right. Marlena is innocent. Is that an admission you're not then, Tatum? Cakey scrunched up his face so that his heavy-set eyebrows knit together with the hair which sprouted just underneath his eyes, giving the brief impression his entire face was covered. The man was clearly in mental anguish, and... Despite what it appeared he'd done, some part of my sympathies went out to him. Just tell us what you know, Keiki, I said soothingly. The truth will set you free. Oh, um, that's not necessarily true, but Artridge is half right. If you tell us the truth, this will all be easier on you. 
I didn't have anything to do with the sandbag what happened to Daisy. I wouldn't do that. Then why did you lie about where you were? For what it's worth, we think Marlena put you up to it. We've seen the threats she made. Threats? What threats? Oh, she was hurting. She'd have just been venting her feelings. She's an artiste. She's passionate. The dance is life and death to her. Exactly. No, not like that. Why are you protecting her, Tatum? I'm not saying another word. Speak to Marlena. She can clear all this up. Tell her I'm not saying a word and I won't say a word all the way to the gallows if that's what she wants. Tell her that from me. And if she doesn't tell you, then I've got nothing to live with anyway. The great brute had tears in his eyes, which he brushed away with the two fingers of his left hand, briefly laughing in written form. Ha! But his face was far from laughing. The visual just didn't make any sense. Like watching a bear riding a bicycle. Sure, I'm sure it could be trained to do it, but why? What are you talking about, Keiki? You just tell Marlena exactly what I said. I'll say nothing if that's what she wants. If nothing changes, come back and let's just get on with it, yeah? I looked at the inspector, who didn't appear to be as moved as I was by this show of emotion. He was staring intently at Keiki, a bird of prey watching an injured field mouse and deciding whether it was worth the effort to swoop down and pick it up in its talons. Very well, Mr. Lyle. We'll speak to Miss Schweinvolger and come back. You'll tell her what I said. I think I'll decide what I say to my suspects, thank you very much. Don't go anywhere, will you? He added, with a cruel smile before leaving the room. The second the door was closed, I turned on him. What was all that about, O'Rowby? Why are we being so hard on him? Hard on him, Artridge? He's all but admitted he killed Daisy Love. What? You think because now he's feeling guilty and can shed a tear, we just forget the fact he took a young woman's life away? I'm not sure he admitted anything of the sort. Marlena knows something. We need to speak with her and find out what. I agree. But we'll not be sharing whatever that business was he was jabbering. Could be some sort of code. Inspector O'Rowby. But he cut me off. If you want to stay in the room, Artridge, you'll keep your mouth shut. At this point, a young woman approached us. Inspector O'Rowby? Yes, Sally. Who is this, sir? This is Mr. Artridge. He's assisting me with an investigation. Artridge, this is the chief's niece. What do you want, Sally? Oh, I'd really like a pony, sir, and some ice cream. I meant, why are you talking to me? You asked me a question, sir. Before that? Oh, right, yes, I was looking for you. And why was that? Because I needed to find you. O'Rowby gritted his teeth in an effort not to raise his voice at his superior's family member. I could see that, if the conversation continued this way, it wouldn't be long before grinding ensued. Well done, Sally. You found me. Now what? I'm to give you a message. It's very important. What was it, Sally? Could you remember the message? It was something to do with a desk and you. Do you have a desk? I do. Is something on my desk? I don't know, sir. Would you like me to check? Oh, for the love of Jesus. I don't know that one, sir. I can hum to the tune of Jerusalem if you'd like. No, thank you, Sally. I'd rather have the message you were sent to give me about the desk. The desk, sir? What desk? Do you know what? It can't have been that important, otherwise they wouldn't have sent you, would they, Sally? No, sir. Why is that, sir? Never mind. Uh, well, as enlightening as this conversation has been, I'm afraid Mr. Archer and I need to go now. You going anywhere nice? I've always wanted to go to France myself. Nowhere quite so glamorous, Sally. We're just off to interview Marlene Schweinvolger. What a coincidence, sir. She's at the front desk, wanting to speak with you. Is she? That's very handy indeed. Thank you, Sally. O'Rowby and I started to leave and headed towards the entrance of the station, but we were stopped in our tracks by Sally shouting, Wait! What is it? I've remembered the message! The young girl was so excited, and I feared O'Rowby would rather burst her bubble by saying, Was it that Marlene Schweinvolger was at the front desk for me? But far from bursting her bubble, his divination inflated it further and drove it on to greater heights.
Yes! She squealed as though she'd just witnessed the greatest demonstration of psychic skill the world had ever seen, and ran off at great speed away from us, only to return seconds later. Wrong way! It's this way! Crime Schools and Christmas is a New Your Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woodsnall and Heather Westwell, with sound and music by Fred Riding. New Your Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. Mm-hmm.